Now for long years the Numenorians had brought in their ships to the Grey Havens, and there they were welcome. As soon as Gilgalad began to fear that Sauron would come with open war into Eriador, he sent messages to Numenor. And on the shores of Lindon, the Numenorians began to build up a force and supplies for war. Hey there, Tolkieners. I'm Joel N. And I'm Danny J. And we are Keep, Keep on, on Tolkien. Yes, yes, yes. This is episode 74. We're impressed. Wow. Yeah, welcome back, everybody. I want to say that it's great to see all your shining faces, but... I, we never see your faces. We never see your faces. Except for sometimes online. Sometimes, yeah. In fact, we're actually sitting alone in a dark room right now. Yeah, nobody around at all. <laughs> nobody around. We wish we could see your shining faces. Yeah, maybe one day. But we are thrilled to be here for episode 74. Yeah, yeah, uh, Let's yeah. start with uh, our usual announcements. Yeah, we got t-shirts and other merch available. New merch coming all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check out that merch store, guys. It's at uh, keep-on-tolkien-podcast.tmail.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we got new t-shirts designs coming all the time and new merch in the future coming as well. Larger sizes. Larger sizes as well. But for today's episode 74, we are going to be talking all about the war of the elves and Sauron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Continuing with our uh, relevance to the Rings of Power series. Yes, our theme for this for this run, this first half of season six, is relevance to the relevance to the Rings of Power series. And we thought this would be a great event to touch on, since this seems to be something that they are building up to in the show. Yeah, we're we're well, we've talked amongst ourselves whether or not they're going to combine this with other events, but we, we'll talk about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about it. So briefly, what is the War of Elves and Sauron, Joel? We'll get this. Uh, so it, it's an armed conflict that some might call a war. Okay. And it involved the elves. No, really? And I don't know if you're going to believe this, but Sauron. No shit. That's it, man. Wow. So elves, it was a war with elves and Sauron. It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. Wow. You're doing good, though. All right, guys. Hopefully, you're following along at home and you're keeping <laughs> up. <laughs> well, hopefully, you can keep up with this. We're moving fast, fast pace here. That was just kind of a, a play on how uh, obviously this is named. This this war is just like, what was it? One thing I love about Tolkien is he uses the same kind of naming scheme that I feel like I do. Just very simple, practical, straightforward names. <laughs> yeah. What was this? The War of Elves and Sauron. It pretty much tells you what it is in the title. Yep. So it is an armed conflict between the forces of Sauron and the elves of specifically Eriador. Mm -hmm. And it was more or less a result of Sauron's failed rings of power scheme that we've mentioned a few times in the past. Yeah, it was actually a nine year long war from uh, 1693 to 1702, the second age. And it consisted of three major battles. And those are the sacking of Eregion itself. Mm -hmm. The first siege of Enladris. Yes. And, and coming to a head at the most decisive battle, the Battle of the Guathlo, also known as the Grey Flood in the common tongue. Yeah, so let's uh, let's touch on this a little. Let's let's go back in time and let's let's get into the origins of this conflict. Yeah, let's review. This is a little bit of review. Get a complete picture here. Yeah. So during the first stage, Middle Earth was more or less a peaceful place. The dwarves during this time thrived in Khazad Doom. Uh, elves lived throughout the lands. And uh, when we should clarify, when we say Middle Earth, we're talking about not Beleriand, right? Right, not Beleriand. Yeah, for, yeah. further east. Further yeah, east. because there's a lot of wars going on out there, but mm -hmm. in the areas we're used to in Middle Earth, yeah, it's mostly green elves, Nandor, some Avari, and uh, this is also when men began to multiply. Yeah, uh, most, but not all, will eventually turn to service of Sauron. So let's look at some of the places that uh, uh, men are inhabiting. We've got Rovanian. Yeah, the men are also in the Anduin River Valley. Yeah, the White Mountains, Arid Nemrais. Kalinarden. Harad. Khand. And of course, Rune. And we got a little excerpt about, about this here from the Silmarillion. Elsewhere in Middle-earth, there was peace for many years. 
Yet the lands were, for the most part, savage and desolate, save only where the people of Beleriand came. Many elves dwelt there indeed, as they had dwelt through the countless years, wandering free in the wide lands far from the sea. But they were Avari, to whom the deeds of Beleriand were but a rumor, and Valinor only a distant name. And in the south, and in the furthest east, men multiplied, and most of them turned to evil, for Sauron was at work. Yeah, Sauron's really good at corrupting these men. That's uh, the moral of the story here. Yeah. So at the beginning of the Second Age, the kingdoms of Lindon and Khazad-dûm took in many refugees after the War of Wrath, the defining war that ended the First Age, sunk Beleriand. And believe believe it or not, taking in all these war refugees, this was extremely beneficial to both kingdoms and Middle-earth overall. Who would have thought? Who would have thought it? It became a time of great cultural diffusion. Yes. And what what is cultural diffusion? Yeah, let's just define that term real quick. So cultural diffusion is a noun that means the spread of the beliefs and social activities of one culture to different ethnicities, religions, nation, nationalities, etc. Thanks, intro to Soch. <laughs> a little sociology for all for everyone. Yeah. So the high elves, they began to live among the Sindar during this time. Lots of intermingling. And some of the Sindar began to rule over some of the Nandor elves that already lived in Middle-earth. Yeah, some examples of this is uh, Orofer and Mirkwood. He's Sindar. Amdir and Lorien is also Sindar. Mm-hmm. And then later Galadriel and Celeborn. Uh, one is Sindar, one is Noldor. But yeah, they're ruling over these pockets of Nandor, or Sylvan Elves. And after the founding of Aregion, the dwarves of Khazad-dûm and the Noldor, they became great friends and collaborative partners. We've got an excerpt here about this from The Lord of the Rings, Appendix B. In the beginning of this age, many of the High Elves still remained. Most of these dwelt in Lindon, west of Arid Luin. But before the building of Baradur, many of the Sindar passed eastward, and some established realms in the forests far away, where their people were mostly sylvan elves. Thanderil, king in the north of Greenwood the Great, was one of these. In Lindon, north of the Loon, dwelt Gilgalad, last heir of the kings of the Noldor in exile. Later, some of the Noldor went to Eregion, upon the west of the Misty Mountains, and near to the west gate of Moria, Celebrimbor was lord of Eregion and the greatest of their craftsmen. He was descended from Feanor. That he was. <clears throat> Grandson of Feanor. Indeed. So let's uh, talk a little bit about the founding of Eregion and the Rings of Power. So after the end of the First Age, most of the Noldor who remained in Middle-earth, they dwelt in Linden. Yeah, under the rule of Gilgalad, their high king. After seven centuries, some of the elves of Lindon chose to depart and traveled eastward, drawn by the promise of Mithril and the mines of the dwarves there over in Khazad-dûm. Yeah, and in 750 of the Second Age, Eregion was founded by the Gwaith Emirdain. That's the people of the Jewelsmiths. And Celebrimbor, grandson of Fanor, was the leader of this guild, and therefore he was generally seen as the Lord of Eregion. Indeed. There is an alternative version where Galadriel and Celeborn are originally the ones who uh, rule in Eregion, and for more on that, see our past episode. Eregion, just last week, right? Was that it? was, yeah, it was just, last, oh my gosh, just it seems like week. forever ago. Yeah. Episode 73, Eregion, just last week. Uh, yeah, and Austin Edhill was the capital of Eregion. And its true location was unclear. Yeah, this is where the guild of the Gwaithi Mirdane was essentially headquartered there. Mm-hmm. And again, for more on that, go ahead and see last week's episode 73. Yeah, last week. The elves of Eregion, they lived in harmony and traded freely with the dwarven civilization of Khazad-dûm. Yeah, a high road ran from Austin Edhill, the capital of uh, Eregion, to Khazad-dûm. And the Noldor and the Dwarves, they developed a very close friendship. Yeah, the Noldor and the Dwarves cooperated for about a thousand years. Uh, Both the Dwarves and the Noldor benefited from the trade of goods and knowledge. This is that cultural diffusion we're talking about. Yeah, this rare friendship between Elves and Dwarves was the closest friendship between Elves and Dwarves that is known in history. And Celebrimbor actually became close friends with the famous Dwarven smith known as Narvi. Yeah. He even helped Narvi construct the famous gates at the west gate of moria those yeah. the glowing gates with the thielding lines and yeah speak friend and enter 
Yeah, if you want to know more about Casa Doom, go back to episode 71. Yeah, just recently as well. All this is, yeah, very uh, relevant with each other. <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's all seems to be very relevant. Wow. Yeah. Well, let, let's, get again, let's get into the coming of Anatar, something we talked about also in last week's episode a little bit. Yeah, so in the Second Age, at the end of the First Age, Sauron sought to give up evil and he approached the Maiar known as Aonwe, and Aonwe encouraged him to come back to Valinor to be judged by the Valar and essentially redeem himself. Yeah, but Sauron wasn't having that. Too proud. No. He, he fled to Middle-earth. Yeah, so instead he was like, eh, nah, nah. I'm out of here. Uh, so by the year 500 of the Second Age, this is when Sauron had begun to stir in the east. Yeah, and he had once again began to, began to hate the Valar. And we have a little quote from the Silmarillion about this. Seeing the desolation of the world, Sauron said in his heart that the Valar, having overthrown Morgoth, had again forgotten Middle-earth, and his pride grew apace. He looked with hatred on the Eldar, and he feared the men of Numenor, who came back at whiles in their ships to the shores of Middle-earth, but for long he dissembled his mind and concealed the, the, the dark designs that he shaped in his heart. Yeah, so he uh, goes back to his old ways. Essentially. So Gilgalad sensed a growing darkness in the east, and he sent a message to Tarmenel Dewar over in uh, Numenor yeah. uh, with his friend Prince Eldarion, and that was in the year 882 of the Second Age. Yeah, and I think it took, a, what, seven years to get there, whatever the fuck. <laughs> it takes years for word to travel back then. Especially with Eldarion. That, right, the that Mariner. That cat is just, yeah. He's all over the place. He's all over. He's a little distracted. Yeah. <laughs> but eventually when Eldarion became king, he began a campaign of vigilance against Sauron in Middle-earth. Yeah, if you remember back to that uh, episode on uh, Eldarion the Mariner, his father uh, got the word that Sauron, in that letter that Gilgalad sent, and then he was toward the end of his reign. He was about to step down. And he's like, I'll let Eldarion. This will be the issue that Eldarion deals with when he becomes king. Yeah. So then Eldarion has set up this vigilance. He, his dad recognized that Eldarion would know more about this and be better equipped to respond. And he, he <laughs> also he knows he's really good friends with Gilgalad, too. Right. So he'd be the right person to, you know, strike a team if they needed to. Yeah. Okay, well, Sauron, he knew that he needed two different approaches to getting elves and men under his dominion. Men he began to corrupt in secret. He secretly made friends with many of the men of the East and some even to the West. And we have a uh, excerpt here from the nature of Middle-earth. First time we've ever actually had an excerpt from this, right? Yeah, brand new book. This just came out uh, a year or two ago. A couple of years ago, and yeah. this is from the chapter A Note on the Delay of Gilgalad and the Numenorians. His occupation of Mordor he no doubt would have kept secret if he could, and it would appear from later events that he had secured the alliance of men that dwelt in the lands adjacent, even those west of the Anduin, in those regions where afterwards was Gondor in Arid Nimrais and Kalinardin. But the Numenorians uh, occupying the mouths of the Anduin and the shorelands of Lebanon had discovered his devices and revealed them to Gilgalad. We have uh, been very much enjoying the nature of Middle-earth recently. Yeah, it is sick, you guys. Check it out if you haven't. Full of some very interesting nuggets. Just weird, obscure information in there, too. Like, it's really fun. So, for the elves, Sauron sought to bring them under his dominion more subtly using his Rings of Power scheme, as we've covered in the past a few times. So in the year 1200 of the Second Age, uh, this is when Sauron takes on his alter ego known as Anatar, Lord of Gifts. Yeah. Anatar claimed he was an emissary from the Valar. And at this point, they had heard rumors that the Valar were going to send over what became the Astari. Mm -hmm. And also our, our pal Glorfindel, we'll talk about him too. Right. But uh, so they were kind of expecting people to come over from the Valar at this time too. But he traveled as an emiss as posing as an emissary. He traveled to Eriador and he met with the elves there. Yeah, and he was, uh, however, never allowed into Linden. Uh, Gilgalad and Elrond distrusted Anatar from the very beginning, and they just didn't let him in. They're like, something's clearly wrong with this guy. 
No. no yeah, you're, well, you're you're not welcome in. It says here, like, like later on, we'll get to it in a second here. It straight up says that he they fucking knew he was Sauron. They were like, oh really? Yeah, we'll see here in a second. Oh Jesus, but, I didn't know that they straight up knew. You feel yeah. like they might have wanted to spread the word. They did. That's yeah. We're getting to it here in a second. Okay. Okay. But uh, he was, however, re- welcomed by the people of Eregion. And we got an excerpt from the Unfinished Tales, a little tiny one from Joel. But Sauron had better fortune with the Noldor of Eregion, and especially with Celebrimbor, who desired in his heart to rival the skill and fame of Feanor. Yeah, and like I said, they were actually warned by Gilgalad in a message, but Anatar talked his way out of it. No way. Okay, so we've got an excerpt about this from the Silmarillion of the Rings of Power in the Third Age. But elsewhere the elves received him gladly, and few among them hearkened to the messengers from Lindon, bidding them beware, for Sauron had took to himself the name of Anatar, the Lord of Gifts, and they had at first much profit from his friendship. And he said to them, Alas, for the weakness of the great, for a mighty king is Gilgalad, and wise in all lore is Master Elrond, and yet they will not aid me in my labors. Can it be that they do not desire to see other lands become as blissful as their own? But wherefore should Middle-earth remain forever desolate and dark, whereas the elves could make it as fair as Erisea, nay, even Valinor? And since you have not returned thither as you might, I perceive that you love this Middle-earth as do I. Is it not then our task to labor together for its enrichment, and for the raising of all elven kindreds that wander here untaught to the height of the power and the knowledge which those who have who are beyond the sea. So ultimately, Anatar was allowed to stay in Eregion after that speech. <laughs> yeah, even though, uh, as we find out right there, they Lindon sent an explicit message saying that <laughs> Sauron's taking the name Anatar. They basically like, do I believe El- like Gilgalad and Elrond, my friends, or this cat that just says he's n- definitely not Sauron? <laughs> I, I guess we're going to go with the sil- silver-tongued devil here. Yeah. So Anatar was ultimately allowed to stay in Eregion, and even though some pretty wise people were pretty sure that that cat was Sauron. Mm-hmm. And this ushered in the age of making magic rings. The Noldor during this time made many magic rings, mostly under the supervision of Anatar. Yeah, in fact, Gandalf originally suspected that Bilbo's ring may have been one of these lesser rings created by the Gwethi Mirden. Yeah, we don't learn much about the lesser rings. It's just known that they made a bunch. Yeah, because when Gandalf finds out there's a magic ring that makes you invisible, he doesn't think twice about it. Yeah, he doesn't think it's one of the nine or one of the seven no, or one of the three. He, he's just like, oh, it's one of those other many other magic rings magic yeah. rings that are out there. Yeah. So during this time, this is when Sauron returned to Mordor around the year 1500. And this is when he forges the one ring in the fires of Orodruin and used its power to finally complete Barad-dûr in the year 1600. Remember that number, guys. I say 1600, the rise again of Sauron. You'll need to remember it in a minute here. During this time as Anatar, Sauron was also sending out many emissaries among the men living in the lands adjacent to Mordor. Yeah, he began to gather a great strength. Yeah, and we have another uh, excerpt from the nature of Middle-earth here. But until SA 1600, he was still using the disguise of the beneficent friend, Anatar, and often journeyed at will in Eriador with few attendants, and so could not risk any rumor that he was gathering armies. At this time, he perforce neglected the east when Morgoth's ancient power had, where Morgoth's ancient power had been. And though his emissaries were busy among the multiplying tribes of eastern men, he dared not permit any of them to come within sight of the Numenorians or western men. Yeah, so secretly, secretly gathering in the east and south. Really secret. He was really keeping that under wraps. I guess I hadn't realized what lengths he went to. Yeah, let's get into some... This is, I think, the coolest thing in the whole episode. This is some shit that I did not know that I learned from a combination of the home series and the nature of Middle-earth. Yeah, this was new to me as well. This was really cool. So during this time when Sauron's gathering armies in the east, he had some strong opposition over there. Yeah, so although it is not specifically stated in the text... We can assume that men of the east and south that had previous contact with the good Numenorians 
we can assume that they would probably oppose Sauron. Because cultural diffusion, mm-hmm. they probably like brought their religion with them, right? Yeah, like, we know the Numenorians went everywhere. Yeah. And so that means that there's faithful Numenorians everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, 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 the big ass thing, the blue wizards had mm-hmm. shown up in the second age. Yeah, because they came earlier than the other wizards. Mm-hmm. And they were busy in the east organizing armed rebellions against the followers of Sauron. Yeah, we've got another excerpt here from the nature of Middle-earth. His gathering of armies had not been unopposed, and his success had been much less than his hope. But this is a matter spoken of in the notes on the five wizards. He had powerful enemies behind his back, and in the east and southern lands to which he had not yet given sufficient thought. The blue wizards. Yeah, the blue wizards, guys. Yeah, the amount of power recruited from these lands out east and south was a lot less than it probably otherwise could have been because of the Blue Wizards. Yeah, and this hugely affected the the history of uh, the struggle against Sauron in the second, but not only in the second, but in the third ages as well. So you remember how in the last excerpt it said, uh, there's more on this in the notes on the Five Wizards. So this next excerpt we have, guess what guys, it's from the Five Wizards. <laughs> And that's from the History of Middle-Earth series, Volume 12. Volume 12, Peoples and Places of Middle-Earth. Yep, here we go. This is Joel reading Home Series, Volume 12, The Five Wizards. The other two wizards came much earlier, at the same time as Glorfindel, when matters became very dangerous in the Second Age. Glorfindel was sent to aid Elrond and was preeminent in the war in Eriador, but the other two Istari were sent for a different purpose. Morinatar and Romastamo, Darkness Slayer and East Helper, their task was to circumvent Sauron, to bring help to the few tribes of men that had rebelled from Melkor worship to stir up rebellion, and after his first fall, to search out his hiding, in which they failed, and to cause dissension and disarray among the Dark East. They must have had very great influence on the history of the Second and Third Age in weakening and disarraying the forces of the East, who would both, in the Second and Third Age, otherwise have outnumbered the West. Straight up. Straight up they would have outnumbered. Yeah, like, that's crazy, right? And to think that even with this help... Uh, we still we, had the onslaught of Easterlings. We still barely scraped by by the skin of our teeth. Yeah, the, like, the Wayne Riders, all that shit. Yeah. That still happened. Hardly survived. And that's only a, f- a, p- a portion of them because the rest of them are off fighting the uh, these f- the blue wizards and shit. That's really cool. I didn't know that. So what we got now is apology time. That's right. We gotta we gotta put out an apology official. I have in the past. We have in the past shit on the blue wizards for not doing anything. Yeah. Apparently, without their labors in the west, uh, we would have been fucked from the start. So. Yeah, and also this leads to us saying that maybe Joel is right that in the Rings of Power series that the Stranger might be a blue wizard. Yeah, they haven't quite confirmed whether or not it's Gandalf, but it, it basically we think it could either be a blue wizard or Gandalf. We, uh, We're not really sure, so I think they might yeah just have Gandalf do the blue wizard work. Like, like, you know, Gandalf is going to go organize rebellion against Sauron in the East. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, just substitute blue wizards for Gandalf. For Gandalf, why not? Um, also, Glorfindel came at the same time as the blue wizards around the year 1600. That was uh, that was something that I didn't previously know. Yeah, in uh, Home, it actually mentions, in the, that's History of Middle-Earth series, by the way, it mentions that uh, in early drafts, it is not clear that the Astari are all actually Maiar. And that Glorfindel might have been uh, an Istari. Yeah, super interesting, because generally when we think of wizards, we think of Istari, which are Maiar. Yeah, I was saying that originally they, they, they didn't exclude like the Highborn, the elves, from being uh That's super uh, interesting. Uh, so you could have Istari. had an elf wizard out there. Yeah. And later, uh, this was revised to Tolkien to exclude Glorfindel from the Istari. So I think gl- that makes sense. Yeah, and Glorfindel is like a separate emissary mm-hmm. from the... Valar. Yeah. So when Sauron created the One Ring in the year 1600, again, in the, of the Second Age, the elves who wore the other rings of power heard his voice and instantly realized that they had been deceived. And Sauron demanded that they hand over all the magic rings and give them back. But just give them back. As we know, the elves refused. Next, we have a excerpt from the Unfinished Tales, the history of Galadriel and Celeborn. 
Now Celebrimbor was not corrupted in heart or faith, but it accepted Sauron as what he posed to be. When at length he discovered the existence of the One Ring, he revolted against Sauron and went into Lorinand, Lorinand to take counsel with Galadriel. Galadriel counseled him that the three rings of the elves should be hidden, never used, and dispersed far from Eregion, where Sauron believed them to be. It was at that time that she received Nenya, the White Ring, from Celebrimbor. Celebrimbor followed her counsel that the Ring of Air and the Ring of Fire should be sent out of Eregion, and he entrusted them to Gilgalad and Lindon. So on the eve of war in the year 1693 of the Second Age, this is when Celebrimbor uh, does his distributing, and he sends the three rings out of Eregion for safekeeping, Nenya with Galadriel and Lothlorien, and then Vilya and Narya with Gilgalad in Lindon. Mm-hmm. And this will bring us... To a little segment here. little segment, yeah, that we're going to call the 1600 Club. Remember that year, 1600, right? So this is, a, <laughs> this is a parody of the show. I guess it's still on. I didn't know it was still on. It's on the internet now. The 700 Club used to come on late at night, at, uh, and it had Pat Robertson, the, uh, the televangelist. Yeah, it was basically like a televangelist infomercial. Infomercial like news show where they would also beg for money. They'd beg you to tithe to them and give them, <laughs> give them your money. Yes. Because if you do that, Jesus will do uh, things for you. Do things for you. And that, so this is a parody of that. It's Sauron's Melkor worshiping cult trying to raise uh, trying to raise armies. Trying for, to raise armies. For the invasion of Aragion. <laughs> In that style. We hope you enjoy. Enjoy, guys. Um, good, good evening. This is the 1600 Club. I'm Rob P- Patterson, and this is my lovely wife, Catherine. Hello, and praise be to Melkor. Amen. He who arises in might. Let's get right into tonight's first story. As you may remember from last week's episode, Melkor's uh, most faithful servant, um, Sauron, has been uh, hard at work trying to spread the word of Melkor throughout all of Middle-earth. Praise be to Melkor. He who arises in might. Amen. Sauron has been hard to work trying has been hard at work trying to finally bring the Eldar under the dominion of Sauron. That's right. He has infiltrated the Gwaithi Myrdain over in Eregion, uh, if you remember from last week's episode. That's right. Many of you called in to pay tribute to great Sauron, and every bit of your money has went to finally bring the Eldar to the ways of Melkor. Praise be to Melkor. He arises in might. And remember, everyone, everything that you pay in tribute comes uh, right back to you in the form of uh, invaluable blessings of Melkor. And this week, we need your help again, club members. The elves have refused our lord Sauron's demands to give back the rings of power. That's right. Uh, It's time to really uh, destroy those who believe in the lies of the Valar and uh, refuse to accept the ways of Melkor. Praise be to Melkor. He who arises in mind. Yes, sir, indeed. This week, we're going to need you to pay tribute in the form of your sons property and fortunes um on on the line right now is a caller um we have a caller this caller had recently paid tribute to sauron in the form of their two youngest sons and three of their best horses uh hello uh is this the 1600 club uh praise be to melkor yes he who arises in might we understand that you uh, have had uh, many blessings uh since uh, paying tribute to sauron well, uh, I was recently down and out. Uh, my wife died. Uh, my crops were failing, and I mangled my penis in an unfortunate pasta-making incident. Oh, dear, my dear Bouglier. Yes, yes, uh, my dog had a heart attack, and rats got into my grain stores, and I've had some terrible bowel issues, but praise be to Melkor, he who arises in might. He who arises in might. And how has your life changed after paying tribute to Sauron, dear caller? Well, uh, after I handed my two young sons and three best horses over to the orcs, uh, things really turned around. Oh, praise be to Melkor. Yes, yes. uh, First I started eating more fiber, and uh, my stools really hardened up. 
And then I went to work on that rat problem. Uh, you really got to study the rat and learn its habits. It's it's uh, wants and needs. Uh, you know, really think like a rat. And once I finally understood the rat, well, uh, that's when the killing started. Oh, yeah. He who arises in might. True, truly incredible. Uh, what other blessings have uh, come into your life? Praise be to Melkor. Well, uh, I got so good at uh, killing them rats that I went on to do it professionally. Uh, now I'm the number one rat catcher east of the Misty Mountains. You see, friends, Melkor brings untold blessings into your life. When you give more than you can afford to, give till it hurts. Join the 1600 Club. Um, uh, what, what, uh, who else do we have on the line here tonight, Catherine? We have a caller from the east. Hello, caller. Would you like to pay tribute to Sauron? Um... No, no, in fact, I would not. Um, you must be, uh, making a tribute to Melkor, then, praise be to Melkor. You mean he who arises in shit? Bowglir, save us! Who is this? Just call me the Dark Slayer. And me and my friend, we're gonna make things very difficult for Sauron in the East. And all who oppose the way of the Valar will be slain. Well, now, we all know that the Valar are liars and thieves, and only through Melkor will we have eternal life. We see what is unfolding in the East. We know what he is doing in Kalinardin and Erid Nimrais. And you and your friend Sauron, your days are numbered. Goodbye. Um, is he, is he gone? Looks like we lost that collar there. That was definitely a strange call. Now, now there are uh, those out there, like our caller, that uh, do not see that Melkor is the way. Um, they steep themselves in the lies of the Valar, and uh, maybe get what's coming to them. All right, everyone. That's all we have for you tonight on the 1600 Club. Make sure to pay tribute to Sauron and welcome his many blessings into your life. Praise be to Melkor. He who rises in might. And may Sauron, uh, with your help, uh, destroy the land of Aragian. That's all from the 1600 Club. Good night. Uh, good night, folks. Praise be to Melkor. He who rises in might. All right, guys. That was our little sketch there. Hopefully you remember the 700 Club so it's a little bit funnier for you. See, what was funny for me going into this is like, you remember the 700 Club? I was like, yeah, I kind of remember that. And then we looked it up and we turned out, it turns out it's actually still totally. Oh, it's still a total Totally thing. a thing. Still totally a thing. Their son, Pat Robertson's son, Gordon now is the, uh, is the dude. The, oh, really? The, the talking head. Yeah. They just passed it down. They just passed it on down. I, I always remember that being something from the past, but, uh. Still around, Still guys. Around. Make sure you tithe to the Christian Broadcasting <laughs> Network. <laughs> okay, guys. Let's get into the war. Let's talk about the war. Let's get into the war proper. Yeah, we're what? Uh, 40 minutes? Uh, we're ways into this episode, and let's let's talk about the war. Yeah, this is like many wars. is more about the prelude than the war itself, but let's get into the, the nitty-gritty, the killing. So let's start off with the first major battle, the sacking of Eregion. So this took place in the year 1695 of the Second Age, when Sauron was finally ready to invade. Yeah, he was going to take over Eregion. It took him 90 years to gather his strength. And he led his host out of Mordor and attacked Eregion from the south. In response to the invasion, Gilgalad sends an army led by Alaron to aid Eregion. He also sends word to Tar Telperion, the queen of Numenor. And in response, her son, the, the future king, Minister, sent a fleet of ships to aid them. Yep, and I would just like to point out for a second there. Here is, uh, in the text, it is an error. It does say Tar Minister. But Tar Minister was not king at the time, so his so name wouldn't be Tar. Wouldn't be Tar. But um, his mother, Tar Telperion, was actually um, queen of Numenor until 1731. So, and that's well after the war ends. Okay. Okay. So it was sending word to Tar Telperion of Numenor. But that, uh, that group of Numenorians, they wouldn't arrive for quite a while. And uh, that wouldn't be until 1700 uh, SA. Yeah, as we know, it takes a long time not only for messages to travel, but to transport a fucking army across the ocean. A fucking army, yeah. 
So in uh, one version of the story, Celeborn leads an attack that pushes Sauron's line back with the help of Elrond. Yep, and eventually they're both uh, pushed further back into Eriador, and then Eregion is surrounded by Sauron. So the defenders of Eregion fought bravely, but unfortunately in 1697, the Ost in Edhil, they fell to the forces of Sauron. That's, again, that's the capital of Eregion. Mm-hmm. Celebrimbor made a last desperate stand on the steps of the guild hall of the Gwaithi Myrdain, but he was eventually captured and the Nine Rings were taken by Sauron. Sauron tortured Celebrimbor into telling him where the Seven Rings were, and he eventually was put to death by arrows. Yeah, Sauron then used his body as a banner to meet Elrond's forces coming down from Lindon. Fucking brutal. Yeah, Celebrimbor never revealed the location of the Three Rings. What a guy. What a guy. And we got a little excerpt from, what's this from? The Unfinished Tales, History of Galadriel and Celeborn. That never-ending chapter. That never-ending chapter that has so much to do with everything else other than Galadriel and Celeborn. It really does. There's so much information in that chapter. <laughs> At last, the attackers broke into a region with ruin and devastation and captured the chief object of Sauron's assault, the House of the Myrdain. Where were the smithies and the treasuries? Celebrimbor, desperate, himself withstood Sauron on the steps of the great door of the Myrdain, but he was grappled and taken captive, and the house was ransacked. There Sauron took the nine rings and other lesser works of the Myrdain, but the seven and the three he could not find. Then Celebrimbor was put to torment, and Sauron learned from him where the seven were bestowed. This Celebrimbor revealed because neither the seven nor the nine did he value as he valued the three. The seven and the nine were made with Sauron's aid, whereas the three were made by Celebrimbor alone, with different power and purpose. Concerning the three rings, Sauron could learn nothing from Celebrimbor, and he had him put to death. But... He guessed the truth, that the three had been committed to the elvish guardians, and they must mean to, uh, to Galadriel and Gilgalad. Yeah, then Elrond's of the forces, they attack from the north, and things go really, things almost go really badly. Yeah, so Sauron was attacked from the rear by the dwarves and elves from Lorinand, led by Amroth, and they came issuing from Khazad-dûm. Yeah, and this is one of the things I was telling Joel that he didn't know about the the Casa Doom is that they were actually allowed to pass the Elven host from Loth, what later becomes Lothlorien, Lorinland. Lor, why can't I say that? Lorin and um, they they came through Casa Doom and they issued out with the dwarves in like this big yeah, a big surprise attack, big surprise attack. And the this is an excerpt from the Unfinished Tales: The History of Galadriel and Celeborn. In black anger, he turned back to battle. And bearing as a banner, Celebrimbor's body hung upon a pole, shot through with orc arrows. He turned upon the forces of Elrond. Elrond had gathered such few of the elves of Eregion as had escaped, but he had no force to withstand the onset. He would have indeed been overwhelmed had not Sauron's host been attacked in the rear, for Durin sent out a force from Khazadum, and with them came the elves of Lorinand, led by Amroth. Elrond was able to extricate himself, but he was forced away northward. And it was in that time, Second Age, 1697, that he was established a refuge and stronghold at Imladris. Sauron withdrew the pursuit of Elrond and turned upon the dwarves and elves of Lorinland, whom he drove back. But the gates of Moria were shut and he could not enter. Hell yeah, fuck you, Sauron. Yeah, and he le- they let the elves come back into to to Casadum and, lo- and lock the doors. Yeah, that's clutch as fuck. That's a that's that's really great. I didn't know that the dwarves were friendly enough with the elves of Loth L- or Lornand at the time. Yeah, because to we were, let them just travel through Casadum like that. But I guess yeah, and we learned earlier in the episode. Remember, those are Nandor slash Sylvan elves. Yeah, and that they are just not, ruled by the the Sindar or whatever. Yeah, and they yeah. generally don't get along with dwarves, but maybe these these did. Yeah, at least they had a common enemy against Sauron. Yeah, you know? desperate times call for desperate measures yeah i guess so some of the aftermath of the sacking of a so elrond 
retreats north and builds the refugee city of Imladris that we know as Rivendell. The dwarves of Kazadum they retreat and they shut their dwarves to the kingdom and they do endure a long siege. And the dwarves actually allowed some of the elves of Lornand into Kazadum and let them pass through and then back home safely. Yeah. Let's get into the first siege of Imladris and the push into Lindon. So Elrond founded the city of Imladris or Rivendell in 1697 of the Second Age, and it was immediately besieged by Sauron. Yep. And this is most likely the time in which Glorfindel became homies with Elrond. Yeah, uh, he was sent by the Valar to aid Elrond in his struggles against Sauron, specifically. Yeah. And Sauron left a group to siege Imladris and push through Eriador to the borders of Lindon. This is very important, actually. Sauron splits up his forces, sending one west to Lindon mm-hmm. and keeping one sieging Rivendell. Very important. And we got a s- excerpt from Joel about this, and this is from the Unfinished Tales, same p- chapter. Now Sauron attempted to gain the mastery of Eriador. Lorinan could wait. But as he ravaged the land, slaying or drawing off all the small groups of men and hunting the remaining elves, many fled to swell Elrond's host to the northward. Now Sauron's immediate purpose was to take Lindon, where he believed that he had uh, had most chance of seizing one or more of the Three Rings. And he called therefore his scattered forces, and marched westward to the land of Gilgalad, ravaging as he went. But his force was weakened by the necessity of leaving a strong detachment to contain Elrond and prevent him from coming down upon his rear. Yeah. And the siege of Imladris lasted three years until the Numenorians under Ab- Admiral Kiriatur landed in Lindon. Kiriatur is someone I had not previously known of. No, this we were just talking about this dude would be an unsung hero for sure. Admiral Curator, Numenorean Admiral. Unsung hero. Unsung no more. Yeah. So they broke Sauron's army, uh, army at the Loon, and later they utterly defeat his army at the Battle of the Guathlo. We'll get more into that in a second here. Sure, sure. So with Sauron's lines broken, the army besieging Imladris was caught between Elrond and Gilgalad and utterly crushed. And that's how they broke the siege, guys. Hell yeah. Let's get into that Battle of the Guathlo now. Yeah, so the Battle of the Guathlo, this was the final and most decisive battle of the War of the Elves and Sauron. Sauron's forces retreated to Sarnford after the battle with the Numenorians and Gilgalad at the Loon. He was again defeated there crossing the Baranduin, also known as the Brandywine, and uh, retreated then to Tharbad on the Guathlo River. Secretly, Curiatur sent a small force to Vinyalande at the mouth of the Guathlo. Remember, Vinyalande was the city that Eldarion built. That's right. Yeah. The mouth of the river there. And all these uh, places we're talking about now later become cities in the North Kingdom. Oh, hell yeah. Tharbad okay. is one of them. Sarnford is obviously very important. Vinyalande. Vinyalande, yep. Uh, so at this point, Sauron is now essentially caught between uh, Hammer and Anvil. And Gilgalad and the Numenorians come down on him and attack from the north. Yeah, yeah. And next we have an excerpt. Uh, this is from the Unfinished Tales, the same chapter. Gilgalad and the Numenorians were holding the loon in desperate defense of the Grey Havens. When in the very nick of time, a great armament of Tar Minister came in, and Sauron's host was heavily defeated and driven back. The Numenorean Admiral Kiriatur sent part of his ships to make a landing further south. Sauron was driven away southeast after a great slaughter at Sarnford, that's the crossing of the Baranduin, and though strengthened by his force at Tharbad, he suddenly found a host of the Numenorians again in his rear, for Kiriatur had put a strong force ashore at the mouth of the Guathlo, the Grey Flood, where there was a small Numenorean harbor, Vinyalande. Hell yeah. Yeah, he basically surrounded this dude. He sent he left Numenorians up north in, in Lindon, and then uh, they came down to the south, attacked Tharbad, and then they had the force come up from the river. Boom, right in the middle. Really fucking Sauron. Super effective. Sauron was essentially completely routed, and he barely escaped himself with his own guard. And then it gets worse. <laughs> For Sauron, at least. He then gets what we call fucked in Kalinardin. 
<laughs> Sauron. So that's the name of the section in the outline. It's really funny. Bucked and Kalinarden. <laughs> Sauron escaped across the Aizen with a small number of forces. And uh, they were once again routed in eastern Kalinarden. Yeah, Sauron and only his bodyguards were able to flee across Daggerlad and back to Mordor. Yeah, I wonder if those people that routed in eastern Kalinarden were some of those, uh, remember our, our homies, uh, the Northmen? Oh, yeah, yeah. From the Vales of the Anduin. They were currently slaves under uh, under Sauron. Maybe it was a little revolt. Very well could be. Yeah, some Tolkieniering. I like that. I like that. We got an excerpt uh, coming up from Unfinished Tales, same chapter from Joel. In the Battle of the Gwathlo, Sauron was routed utterly, and he himself only narrowly escaped. His small remaining force was assailed in the east of Calinardin, and he, with no more than a bodyguard, fled to the region afterwards called Dagorlad. Whence, broken and humiliated, he returned to Mordor and vowed vengeance upon Numenor. The army that was, bese- that was besieging in Ladris was caught between Elrond and Gilgalad and utterly destroyed. Eriador was cleared of the enemy, but lay largely in ruins. Yeah, let's talk about some of the aftermath of the Battle of the Guathlo slash entire war in Aragion here. Yeah, because at this point, the war is essentially wrapping up. Sauron has been defeated and utterly destroyed. All of his forces have been destroyed or scattered, and he is now just kind of broken and back in Mordor. Step one, back in Mordor, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just back him, to square one. Just him and the Nazgul, right? Or no, the Nazgul aren't a thing yet. Not yet either, yeah. He just got those uh, nine rings. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So some aftermath. So Eregion is wiped off the face of Arda. Straight it is, up. Eregion is gone. Straight up gone. Uh, much of Eriador is also in ruins. And, then, and this is also when the Numenorians start to establish more permanent colonies on the coast of Middle-earth. Yeah, they got to keep an eye on the Sauron, son of a bitch. Yeah. And then in the in the wake of this, also the first White Council is called. The very first White Council. And at this uh, first White Council, Imladris is established as the Elven Fortress in eastern Eriador. And Elrond is also given the Blue Ring and made Vice Regent of Gilgalad. And we have a uh, another excerpt here from the Unfinished Tales. At this time, the first council was held, and it was there determined that an elvish stronghold in the east of Eriador should be maintained at Imladris rather than in Aragion. At that time, also Gilgalad gave Vilya the blue ring to Elrond and appointed him to be his vice regent in Eriador. But the red ring he kept until he gave it to Círdan when he set out from Lindon in the days of the Last Alliance. For many years the Westlands had peace, and time in which to heal their wounds. But the Numenorians had tasted power in Middle-earth, and from that time forward they began to make permanent settlements on the western coasts, becoming too powerful for Sauron to attempt to move west out of Mordor for a long time. Yeah, and that rounds off the War of the Elves and Sauron. Yay, we did it! Kind of uh, sets things up for the following conflict that happens again in the Second Age, but... uh, Mm -hmm. That, that's ultimately the War of the Elves and Sauron. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this this War of the Elves and Sauron, this is when Sauron owns more land than he has ever owned at any other point in his life, right? Yeah, well, that was actually wasn't in the uh, in the outline. They called that the dark years in the uh, in the histories. Okay. The years when Sauron had all of Iriador, all of the Wilderlands, remember? He had the Northmen enslaved. Yeah. All of that shit was under his He domain. had Lindon pushed back to Lindon. He yeah. was attacking. He was sieging Imladris. He had a bunch of stuff across the Misty Mountains. Yeah. This was, the, yeah, this is, that was one of the things I wanted to say in the closing thoughts here is like, let's not forget how close to Sauron, how close Sauron was to controlling all of Middle Earth at this time. Yeah. He, this was the closest he had ever come. Yeah. Which uh, is still kind of a far cry from as far as Melkor got, but... Yeah, uh, exactly. But still, for Sauron, this was huge. Oh, yeah. So, again, these final thoughts... Let's let's, have, let's jump into some final thoughts. Yeah. So, the War of the Elves and Sauron is pretty cool and not very well known for how big of an event it actually is in the Legendarium. Yeah, very pivotal. Um, it's the only other than... Up until the the, the war in the, in the North Kingdom, it's really the only war in Eriador... Mm-hmm. For a pretty long time. 
Eridor is generally a pretty peaceful place. Pretty peaceful, yeah. It's also a pivotal shift in the power dynamic in Middle-earth. Mm-hmm. It represents the waning strength of the elves and the growing strength of Numenor, which is kind of like the Second Age in a nutshell, right? It is, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, Third Age, at that point, elves have already been pretty well diminished. Men mm-hmm. are pretty prevalent. Yep, and then in the First Age, it's all elves. It's all elves, and men are like babies. Mm-hmm. And uh, this also solidifies the alliance against Sauron. So men, mm-hmm. elves, and dwarves all working together against Sauron. One of the first times that really happens, yeah. Uh, a little bit of a precursor to the last alliance, you might you might say. Oh, yeah, totally. This kind of sets the ground for the last alliance, exactly. Um, and this is the first struggle outside of the first age where the pre- free peoples have to totally band together. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, and once again, like Danny mentioned earlier, let's not forget, again, this is... Uh, the closest Sauron has ever come to controlling all of Middle-earth. He came yep. very close. The Dark Years, yep. All right, guys. Well, that's all we have for you content-wise. Our mid-season finale, episode 75, will be the 2022 holiday special. Next week? Yeah. Actually, uh, I believe it's the week after next. I think there's a gap, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that'll be coming to you guys right around the end of December. Yeah. All right, well, thank you for listening to KOT Podcast. Uh, we'd like to thank all of our patrons. Yes, big thank you to our patrons. Yes, big thank you. It's because of you all that we can continue doing this. Yes, uh, if you'd like to subscribe to Patreon to help support us, that'd be great. It's www.patreon.com slash KOT Podcast. Yeah, help us continue bringing you great new content at the same level that you expect. And subscribing can also unlock some exclusive content. Yeah, we also do uh, private one-time donations if uh, the subscription fee is not really your speed. Um, Yeah, we have PayPal and other services. Just let us know uh, via email or DM somewhere, and we'll make it happen. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Go to that website, forward slash keep on Tolkien. Stay up to date with all of our new episodes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate us and leave us a review. Yes, 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 and follow us on all social media. Join the Discord. Please, please, please join the Discord. We love our Discord. We love our Discord community. It's so much fun, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's so great. Server name is Keep on Tolkien Podcast, and there will be a uh, link in the description. Yep, and uh, also follow us on Twitter, at KOT Podcast, if Twitter still exists. Um, Follow us on Facebook as well, at facebook.com slash official Keep on Tolkien. Yeah, and while you're there, don't forget to join the KOT Talk group on the Facebook and, uh, you know, join some discussions with other listeners and share some memes. It's a lot of fun. Follow us also on Instagram at Keep on Tolkien Podcast. And, of course, don't forget to check out our new merch store. That's keep-on-tolkien-podcast.tmail.com. Check it out, guys. New designs come in all the time and uh, new sizes come in. And yeah. We love it. We love it. Well, that's all for us today. I'm Danny J. And I'm Joel N. And together, we are... Keep on Tolkien. Array into Luva. I like that one. I like that one, too. <laughs> <laughs>